Good morning, saints. Let's, we'll just jump right into it. Hey, Judith. Hey, Jeff. Lord, we just, it's just so cool to come here you know, and just gather with believers and, and remember you and remember your awesome work how you literally have made us new and erased everything and started over again in a new creation that cannot sin, a new creation that has no fault, a new creation that is righteous as God himself is righteous. And when we do sin and when we do stumble, we know that's just the flesh, it's just the deeds of the old man who is dead. As we're learning how to live by the Spirit who we really are, putting off the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the old man, and manifesting who we really are. We all stumble in many ways as we're learning how to live by you, Lord, but the reality is we are as righteous as you because you have made it so. As you are, so are we in the world. Not just when we die, but now in the world. It's awesome. As you are, so are we now in the world. Bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh. Branch on a vine. What a great mystery. Great is the mystery of our godliness. It's all of God. It's all of God. We simply believed. Did I not say, if you would only believe, you would see the glory of God? The glory of what only God can do. For only God can raise the dead and call into being that which did not exist before. It is the glory of God. Thank you, Lord, for this new covenant of grace, whereby you remember our sins no more and are merciful to all our iniquities. For we are still in these bodies, and we are still tempted, and we still sin at times. But as Paul said, not I, not the real me, but sin, the power of sin in our flesh trips us up sometimes. But our minds are being renewed to the new reality the reality of who we are in you and who you are in us. Awesome, Father, it's so great that we sit with Christ in heavenly places. We rest with Christ in heavenly places. The work is done. Everything, everything has become new. Open our eyes, Lord, to see how awesome this work is. We wait only for the redemption of the body while our mind is being renewed to what is. And as we see what is now in Christ, we go from faith to faith, from glory to glory in manifestation through our eyes, through our words, through our thoughts, through our deeds. What is already inside of us gets out. 
And men see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. But we rest because we're not getting any better. We can be no better. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this awesome way. For your ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are your ways different from our ways. Thank you for this reality. What a covenant. What a God. The God of all grace. The God of hope. The God of life. And now, Lord, I pray that you would open our ears, our new ears, that we might see with our new eyes and receive in our new heart these things that you want to speak to us about, to encourage us. I pray that we would be able to hear and see and, and be encouraged. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. So awesome. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You know, we really are in a, we are really in a place in time right now that is uh, where church history is being made. You know, you read books about church history, you know, John Wesley or whoever, and you think, wow, I wonder what it was like in those days when they, they, you know, they were actually moving in a way that was actually making history, you know, and as the revelation began to open more and more to the revelation of Christ to the church and things began to change as the church emerged out of the dark ages of Roman Catholicism and began to see the grace of God. And we read about these historical you know, things, but saints, you're in the middle of it right now. We are in the middle of it right now. It has not yet been written what you are doing every day. Not that we care that it's, that it's written or not, but it's just exciting that we're actually a part of this journey that is, is the shepherd ever marching toward this brighter and brighter day that his saints, his people might see and the world might see and hear. So it's just, it's awesome. But as we move in this journey, there's going to be sparks are going to fly. And because we are, God is showing us the finished work of Christ in a way that is really crystal clear and awesome. And the scripture backs up every letter of it. And it's so cool that you can actually turn to your, your Ephesians and Colossians or, and say, that's what that means. Oh, that's what that means. It's cool. It's, it's, it's opening up, not just here, but other places. It's, it's amazing. Books are being written. I mean, I can't wait for Clark's book to get out. Pure Grace this month, Pure Grace. Um, I encourage you to get as many copies as you can and put it in the hands of people, pastors and friends. And I intend to do a lot of mailing and, you know, people that uh, maybe not, would not buy it, but they would read it if they got it as a gift. So... But as we go through this, this uh, as we're part of this awesome, awesome work of God in this unfolding, 
as I believe, as we approach the latter reign, as was prophesied, this, this, this revelation of, of, of Christ becoming more and more clear and this great outpouring of more of his life and harvest, all those things that people have been talking about, pieces of it, as we approach this, there, there'll be sparks will fly, there'll be controversy, there'll be resistance to this truth of God's grace. But don't fear, because that's really God's way of advertising things. If you read the book of Acts, really, literally, almost in every chapter in the book of Acts, there's a riot. I mean, it really is. Every, everywhere this message went, it, it, it caused great joy for those who received it and great anger for those who were against it. And usually the people that were against it were the people that were religious or already established, established in some kind of ministry or the noble people of the city, the mayor. You know, they're the ones that usually got mad at this message because it turns the world upside down. Gen- really, really. Because it, it changes our human way of seeing things. Which is why um, the Lord starts off by saying, change your mind. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your mind because it's not as men think. So this is going to happen. So if you know it's going to happen, it's, it's great to not be shocked by it. Uh, Jesus himself said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they persecuted your master, they'll persecute you. Um, if they accepted me, they'll accept you. They'll receive you. So you're going to have both. He said, uh, I tell you ahead of time, so when this happens, you're not offended and don't get your feelings hurt and wonder why is this happening, you know. Peter says, you know, think it not strange this fiery trial saints are going through because it's an evidence of the blessing of Christ upon you in this world that doesn't see him, doesn't know him, and cannot receive the spirit of truth that you have received. So it's just, it's just part of the knowing that is really a big, big help, and that's why we need each other to encourage each other. And as we go through this, now, the reason I bring all this up is because my brother sent me a, my brother Robert sent me a, a Facebook page of a, a minister in, I think he's in Washington, Seattle, Washington. And I, I want to read this Facebook page and respond to it without mentioning his name or anything, because the point is not to talk about a person, but to, but to look at a mindset, because this is the kind of thing that we're going to be confronted with confronted with and I want to respond to his words and and so you'll see how maybe how uh, what's out there in the religious mind this is a person who has a ministry his website has he's booked for the next two years very involved minister it will be those it will be those who have books out there who have spoken who have cds out there who will have the hardest time changing Michael Bean was here last Sunday in the class wasn't that awesome Michael Bean, um, what, I love what he shared about that, that brother who forgave in Guatemala, the, forgave the man who cut his dad's head off. Boy, that raised the level of forgiveness in me like unbelievable. Something, <laughs> I mean, something was imparted to me when I heard that because I was like, surely if he can forgive a man who cut his dad's head off, I can forgive somebody who cuts me off in traffic. <laughs> you know, and show grace to... And even beyond, you know, I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, he was like the, just a, uh, the power of God that he could forgive a man in jail who cut his dad's head off in Guatemala with a machete. Unbelievable. Um, but Michael Bean, remember what he said? He said that God said, 10 years, I'm going to speak to you again. 
And for 10 years, he was preaching a mixture of law and grace in his, in his ministry as a missionary, speaking at churches, so forth. And then he, then he, um, he said, 10 years, you know, he heard, he heard what we were speaking about the, the finished work of Christ. And he said, God, why didn't you tell me 10 years ago? Why, do I, why did I wait 10 years? But see, Michael's humble. He's humble, and he, he was willing to change. You know, he didn't say this. He didn't tell you this part, but you know that Michael and Rocky, when they heard the truth of the finished work of Christ, and they realized they had a leaven of law in their teaching, they took out, um, first of all, they took, out, they took out the leaven in their teaching and began to speak just Jesus, you know, and the finished work and grace and faith only and so forth and new, new creation and so forth. But then they took cassettes. Back then we, we had cassettes, no CDs. They took cassettes of this message and they mailed it out to all their supporters that give them money knowing that many would cut them off. These are churches, churches and friends, mostly churches, knowing they probably would be cut off from a lot of them thinking that they're in some heresy or some era or whatever, talking about this finished work, this awesome grace. But they didn't care because they knew God was with them. They knew that there's no other message to preach but the truth. And they didn't care. That's the kind of people Michael and Rocky Bean are. And that's why they could hear. When they first heard it, they received it immediately like Cornelius, like, almost like Cornelius heard it and received it. You know, they're like that. They're awesome people. And I, I would encourage you to, to get in touch with their website if you want to support them in some way. That's, um, this is not like an advertisement for them or anything. I'm just saying they're, this is, they're awesome saints. But the point I want to make is that they were willing to change what they had been teaching for 10 years. They had tapes out there, writings out there, and they said, we were wrong about this. We were right about some stuff. We weren't totally wrong about everything, you know, but we were wrong about this, and we were willing to change. There'll be very few ministers out there that will be willing to do that because they have their books, they have their royalties coming in, they have their tapes, they have money, they have their positions and their churches. I mean, they've got a vested interest in the system, and it's going to be very hard for the leadership to make this change. Although some in this Facebook page, I think you'll see that the change is starting to happen, but it's happening in a, in a way that where he kind of ha- tries to s- say both things and not lose, you know, face or whatever. Um, so, uh, but, the, but the people that will receive this are, are the people that are not in ministry, so to speak, you know, not in a professional ministry. They will receive it, the, especially the, the youth, the young people are hungry to hear just Jesus, just the truth. They don't care about religion. They want him. They don't care about church. I mean, they care in, in the good sense of that word because the church are the people, but they don't care about the organization or they, they don't, they just, they just want to know reality. And not just young people, but, you know, anybody who's hungry and thirsty for truth. But it's, I just, I'm just telling you, it's going to be hard. Clark Witten is a rare, rare, rare person on the planet. Rare. I mean, he's been in ministry for, what, uh, 40 years. And when he saw this about 20-some-odd years ago and started ministering this, you know, he changed because he, he said, this is, this is crazy. I'm not going to live my life burned out. Like, and then God revealed to him, and then he started speaking it and gradually started sharing with his friends. His friends at first probably thought he was crazy, but then he kept on preaching, and he's, he's never stopped. And it's just gotten better and better every year that goes by. So 
it's just really cool to see, you know, what's happening. But let me, let me just go ahead. I'm going to read this Facebook page, and I want to respond to it. And we'll, um, we'll go from there. You'll, I think I want, you'll, I want you to see what, pick up what he is saying. Read between the lines, hear between the lines, and, and see what this, it's a short, little short couple of three paragraphs. And then I want to respond to some of the things he said. Now, first, let me say this. He's responding to the words really getting out there. That's why he's writing stuff like this on his Facebook. He's hearing from saints. He's reading books. He's hearing this thing, this, this particular thing about you don't have to confess your sins on a daily basis to stay forgiven or stay cleansed. That's what he's addressing here. You don't have to name your sins daily to stay right with God. 1 John 1, 9 is not what we thought it was. The only verse in the entire New Testament, the only verse in the entire New Testament that people use to teach that you need to name your sins on a daily basis to stay cleansed and stay right with God. This is huge now. This is huge in the religious world. This threatens their very core Because in many ways, the mindset of the religious world is all about sin management. It's not really about Christ. I mean, it is about Christ. They love Jesus. They love him. I'm not talking, they're they're born of the Spirit. But they're like the Galatians who who were believers, who began in the Spirit, who have now taken up the flesh. And now they have this mixture in their minds of law and grace. They need a good dose of Galatians. A revelation of what Galatians is saying. So you have these, these ministers who, who, who do a lot of sin management. So they can modify believers' behavior so that God is happy. So maybe, maybe the saints will get blessed. I mean, that's a good little summary of what most messages, most sermons are all about sin management so you can modify the behavior of the saints so that they'll be good people and God will bless them and so forth. You know, like, like that, I told that joke one time where the, one of our ex-presidents came home from the white, to the White House and his wife was there and she didn't go to church that day and she said, well, what did the preacher preach on today? And he said, sin. And uh, she said, well, what did he say about it? He was against it. And that's it. I mean, really, most, if you uh, analyze most sermons, most sermons, if you analyze most sermons, they're about sin and about being against it. It's, it takes no revelation to preach about the flesh. No revelation whatsoever. It takes no revelation to preach about the law because natural man understands the law. It's already inside them from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that's why when the Ten Commandments came from Sinai, they had no problem with that. They, had, they were not shocked to hear that it's wrong to kill. They were not shocked to hear that it's wrong to steal. It was already inside them from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God just mirrored what was inside of them to make sin exceedingly sinful so they would eventually come to, to the end of themselves and realize they can't do this. So law is not a revelation. It's natural man understands law. Romans 2 says it's, says it's in everybody from that tree. The conscience either accusing you or defending you by your good works or bad works. So there's no revelation. It's so easy to preach sin. 
You can preach sin day in and day out, and people get all guilty, and they come forward for prayer. I mean, it's the easiest thing to fill the, fill the aisle and fill the altar with people as, as you put them under guilt, as you rake them over the coals, etc., etc. But it takes a revelation and the power of the Holy Spirit to preach a mystery. A secret that was hidden in God, not revealed to the sons of men until Christ came. And that's one of the things that God really helped me see how I saw this, helped, see, helped show me this, is when I realized that most of what I was hearing preached was something they could have preached in the days of Moses. Nothing new, same old stuff. Law, obedience, judgment, sin, you know, righteousness. You know, just nothing really different. What's this thing about a secret hidden in God, this mystery? What's, what's this? What's this that got the religious, religious people so mad? Not the world. The religious people got mad at this. What is this? And it was the revelation that God was coming to put an end to sin, to finish the transgression to make reconciliation for all iniquity and bring in an everlasting righteousness by faith and not by works. By grace through faith, Daniel said, when Messiah comes, in this Messiah will put an end to sin. He will finish the transgression and he will reconcile all iniquity on earth and he will bring in an everlasting righteousness. God's own righteousness. By faith. Woo! What a secret. What an awesome reality. That God. That's what Ephesians is talking about. In the fullness of time, he would gather together all things into Christ. It's always been his intention to gather together all things, all men into him. In the mind of God, every human being that ever lived and ever will live was gathered into the Christ. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. There was a drawing, there was a movement by God to put all people in Christ. The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world so that everything in the world could be part of that death before the foundation of the world. The Word who created all men, who was before men, was the one who became Man on the earth offering his spirit up by the eternal spirit in a way that is a mystery, an awesome hidden wisdom that the enemy did not know. Had the Lord of this world known, had the God of this world understood the hidden mystery, he would not have crucified him, the scripture says, because it was his undoing. God gathered all men into Christ that he might destroy all men by the judgment of God on the Christ, on the cross, bringing all men down into judgment on the cross that he might raise Christ again from the dead and start a new creation without sin what a mystery Paul says this is the mystery of Christ he says when you read my letters you'll know my insight into the mystery of Christ this is it for you were crucified with him you were buried with him you were raised with him this is the hidden wisdom that God before all ages proclaimed that you are predestined to be a son and daughter of God everybody's predestined to be a son or daughter of God by being placed in the son (laughs) 
There's not, in, there's not a predestination of individuals that God predestined individuals to go to heaven and some he predestined to go to hell. No, the predestination has to do with the Son. He is the one that's predestined. He is the one. The Son was predestined. He and all who believe and whosoever can believe, will believe, if whoever wants to believe, can believe, and they will be placed in the Son and experience the awesome grace and provision that is with us and now in Christ. Oh, it's awesome. That's why he says, John says he died not for our sins only, the believer, but for the sins of the whole world. For God is not willing that any man should perish, but all should come to the truth. For the predestination is not an individual predestination. It is the predestination of the Son. And the way that God ordained that all men would simply believe and become sons and daughters of God through the Son and through His work. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He wept over Jerusalem and said, Oh, how often I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks and protects them. Julia knows about that. A hen gathers her little chickens, and I would have protected you, but you would not. Get that? He said, I would, but you would not. And he was crying. It was real tears, real tears. He was weeping over Jerusalem, and he said, I would, I would have, but you would not. He came to his own, and many of his own received him not. But to those who did receive him, to them, they had the right to be called the sons and daughters of God. It's awesome. And that's the great mystery. That's the great secret. That's the great awesome work of Christ, that we don't have to continue to name our sins to stay right with God or, stay, or name our sins to stay in fellowship with God. How can you grow in an awareness of your union with him? If you see yourself in need of daily cleansing and daily forgiveness of sin, you cannot. And that's the way God intended it to be. There needs to be this awesome growing awareness of our union with him such that we know that we are the righteousness of God. You know, we talked about this a while back, how the saints of old before Christ, the ones who believed, Abraham, David, they were given imputed righteousness they were reckoned as righteous but they weren't really righteous they were reckoned it was imputed that's why they descended that's why they did not enter heaven because they were not really righteous you don't go to heaven with a fictional righteousness a legal fiction that's a legal fiction a reckoning of righteousness you don't go to heaven if you're just legally fictionally righteous no 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 you have to be really righteous and perfect, which is why they descended waiting, waiting in Abraham's bosom and Sheol until the time that Messiah came to bring everlasting righteousness. So you, saint, you don't have just imputed righteousness. You and I, by an act of creation, you have imparted righteousness. You are, you are actually righteous. 
I am actually righteous by an act of creation. Now, imputed is part of it, but it's, it's the lesser, and the greater includes the lesser. It's imputed because it's a gift. But the greater is the impartation, which includes the lesser of imputation for the new creation. What happened when the Lord descended to Sheol, or Hades, Hades in the Greek, Sheol in the Hebrew, when he descended, which, which is why I told that thief, this day you shall be with me in paradise, or Abraham's bosom, when he descended and brought them out of Hades, he was able to impart to them the act of creation then because the work had been accomplished on earth. Their spirits, the spirits of justified men made perfect, Hebrew says, Mount Zion, the spirits of justified men made perfect passed into the heavens after him. No man had ever ascended to, into heaven, the scripture says. No man, except for the Son of God who descended from heaven. So no man had ever entered heaven. If you ask a believer, who was the first man to go to heaven? The answer is Jesus. It's awesome. God had no men, no women, no, no family in heaven until Christ accomplished the work and brought them up from Sheol. Even Elijah, even Enoch were taken to Sheol. They could not enter. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, no man has ever entered heaven except the Son of Man who's descended from heaven. And he's done it. So he recreated those in Sheol in an instant. Justified men made perfect by the work of his spirit because his work was accomplished on earth and brought them the many clouds of witnesses that now cheer us on that they would not be perfect without us. They did not have what you have on earth. They did not have on earth what you have now on earth. It's awesome. So now you walk as the sons and daughters of God. You are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. You are the new Jerusalem populating the earth now. Your mother is Jerusalem above. Your mother. That's where you're from. No longer from below, but from above. It's awesome. This awesome reality. Okay. But, but the big, but the big issue is this thing about forgiveness of sins. All right, we've got to read the Facebook page. Okay, here we go. All right, here's, here's the minister's Facebook page, and listen to what he's saying. Remember, he's, he's addressing this thing. He's hearing more and more and more from different saints that they don't have to confess their sins to stay forgiven or stay right with God. Um, and just in case you're wondering what we should do, what God wants is a thank you. He wants a thank you. That's it. When we blow it, a son or daughter of God, he merely wants us to first remember him, not our sin. This one thing I do, Paul says, I forget that which is past. I remember him. You don't take it lightly. We don't take it flippantly. You know, we don't, we don't take it. Religious people think that's being flippant, but it's not. it's not. It's no more flippant than Jesus who catches a woman caught in the very act of adultery and says, go and sin no more. I forgive you. I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go. Neither do I condemn you. To the religious, that seemed awfully flippant because their plan was to stone her to death. 
It seems awfully flippant to just say, neither do I condemn you. Go, go and sin no more. It's not flippant. It's the reality that he already took my sin and it honors him. It honors him to thank him instead of groveling or focusing on the sin. The old covenant was all about remembering sin, Hebrews says, but the new covenant is about remembering him. For the old covenant could only cover sins and never take them away. But the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Everlasting righteousness has come. Okay, so a son or a daughter of God who sins and blows it and stumbles, we go to him boldly to a throne of grace. No broken fellowship. You're in union with him. No broken fellowship. Broken fellowship? On what basis? Well, you sinned. Well, what was the cross about? Oh, yeah. You see? It's ridiculous. So we go boldly to a throne of grace, and we just, we talk to him about anything, about our sins, about our weaknesses. We pour our heart out to him. We, we talk anything. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what, it should happen. But you do it in a way where you're, you're doing it in the throne room as a son and daughter, as a, as, as a son of the king, in complete fellowship with him as you talk to him about anything and everything you want to talk about. And you thank him that what you just did what you just thought what, ha- what just happened is not being counted against me because of him you eat the bread you drink the wine and you remember him with thankful hearts and you learn from it hopefully we learn from it we learn to live by him we learn that had hey, that happened because i tried to do it myself thank you lord such a great teacher thank you there's no need to come up with every single sin and name every single sin and try to stay in, in fellowship with God by naming every... It's ridiculous. Even the Old Covenant didn't have that standard. I mean, the Old Covenant's actually better in that regard. It is. But, you know, they at least have one day of atonement where it's all done. The Scripture says even the unconscious sins committed on the Old Covenant were done on the day of atonement. Even the ones you didn't know, you know. But the, but the way men teach the New Covenant forgiveness of sins you don't really know did I name everything lay it up in bed did I forget anything well, if, I forgot, if I forgot anything can you cover it all you know <laughs> so it keeps you sin focused instead of Christ focused so okay here we go if the goal of my marriage is not to get divorced then I can do the, min- the minimum required i can preach covenant to, covenant to my spouse and probably pressure them into staying but i want a great relationship with my lover it will require more than the enforcing of the marriage covenant the same is true in our christian walk if my goal is just to get to heaven or not to go to hell i can accept christ and stand on the covenant he made with me Um, But cultivating a deep relationship with someone always requires mutual participation. For example, if I sin and disappoint Jesus, I can probably not ask for forgiveness and still get to heaven. But But if my desire is to become friends with God, then that level of relationship will call for me to talk to him when I disappoint him. For instance, God knows my needs before I ask. But he still wants me to ask. Why? Because he wants relationship with me. More than he wants to be some kind of cosmic government welfare program. I can argue I don't have to ask for forgiveness. 
He will still, I mean, ask for things, and he will still meet my needs. Maybe. But the goal of our salvation was always relationship with God. So why won't I talk to him about everything that concerns me and expect him to do the same with me? Part of what he's saying, his heart, I agree with totally. Talk to God about everything. I mean, he's, he's almost saying that by not confessing your sins and naming your sins and asking God to forgive you of your sins, you're not willing to talk to him about everything, which is not true. Because, as I just said, we do and can and should talk to God about everything. But do you see what he said about the, the, the covenant of grace? Did you catch that about the covenant of grace and the covenant of law? He basically says that the minimum, the basic minimum, the government welfare program called the new covenant of grace, that's what he's saying, is just a minimum. Yeah, you'll go to heaven probably. But if you really want a relationship with God, you need to confess your sins. You need, to, you need to talk about those sins. You need to ask forgiveness for, them, from the, for those sins. I mean, that's the real, basically what he's saying is the covenant of law, which allowed sin to be imputed, which allowed sin to be in our forefront conscious, that that's the, that's the, big, that's the big deal. That that's the real deep relationship is when you are sin-focused. When you are sin-focused and you're, you really are, you're really serious about your relationship with God when you're sin-focused. You see how twisted this is? As opposed to seeing that, wait a minute, none of us in here are here just to get to heaven and miss hell. In our heart of hearts, we're excited about him. And the revelation of our union with him and life on earth to help other people see him and so forth. So he, he basically puts you, you grace people in this category of they just want the minimum. They just want to get to heaven and miss hell. And, but the real serious Christian knows that it's all about coming to God with your sins. And, and ah, you see what I'm saying? So in a way, this guy, see, he's, he's starting to see that maybe they're right. But regardless of what the scripture says, this just feels good. You hear, you hear that? He basically said, well, maybe so. Maybe, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. First, I went on. Maybe, maybe it doesn't mean you have to. My question to him is, first of all, what do you, what do you really believe first John one nine says? And if you really believe it does not say what you've been teaching about naming your sins to stay right with God, then where else in the scripture is that taught? And if it's not taught anywhere else in scripture, then what are you doing teaching this to the saints? Because in your mind, it feels good. It feels like I'm serious about my relationship with God because I'm willing to go to God about my sins and ask him to forgive me as opposed to thanking him that he's already forgiven me. And it's not just semantics. This is huge. It's a whole different mindset. You're either growing in an awareness of your union with Christ because you're thanking him that sin no longer sticks on me anymore. Sin is no longer imputed to me anymore because where there is no law, there is no transgression. Where there is no law, sin is not imputed. All these awesome verses that the Apostle Paul taught so that we would be freed up in our spirit to understand and enjoy union with God in Christ. Our life hidden now with God in Christ. All those awesome, mysterious dynamics that are released in the new creation that renews our mind and transforms us into the image of Christ outwardly where men see God actually walking through us 
all those awesome things. But this, this man, still hanging on to this mentality, even though maybe he even sees that Scripture doesn't teach that because it seems like he's, in, he's implying that, yeah, maybe it doesn't teach that, but still. I don't know, it just, it hurts, it hurts me, it riles me up on on one end, and then I get, you know, saddened by the thing, because there's so many believers that are still thinking that way. Notice that he's talking about, he's comparing his marriage with his wife, with the, with Jesus, and, but, but no mention of how he adores his wife. It's all about his sin. And that's exactly how a lot of believers, they're stuck in that, that kind of, thinking in their relationship with God. It's all about their sin. It's not about him. It's not about focusing on him, the bridegroom, and how awesome he is and, and just being lost in him and hearing his voice say, as in the Song of Solomon, I see no spot in you. Come, run with me. I see no fault in you. Come, run with me. That's the real marriage. That's the romance. Not him talking about himself. I don't know. It's just, it's, Sparks are going to fly and things are going to, you know, books are going to be written and things are going to be said, but, oh yeah, and he mentions twice, disappointing Jesus. You got that? What's that? No, it's impossible. What, 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 what instance in the entire gospel do we have a scene, one scene, just one scene, where Jesus gets disappointed with the disciples? Even Peter, when he denied him at the cross, he said, you know, he told Peter he's going to deny him before. He, but he said, but I prayed for you, Peter. Your faith would fail not. And then when he, when he, at the resurrection, he goes, tell the disciples and Peter, I'll meet him. They hid from the, the Jews, afraid of their, for their own lives. They forsook him at the cross. And he comes walking through the walls and says, do you have anything to eat? They didn't confess any sin, and they didn't grovel. He just came through the walls. <laughs> Do you have something to eat? Peace. Be still. Oh, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, Peter said. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, Peter. Believe only. He was never disappointed. Why? Why was he never? Why can Jesus never be disappointed with you? Because, because what? Exactly. He has no expectations for the flesh whatsoever. In fact, he has, he has one. He has one expectation. The flesh can do zero zilch. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So when you do nothing right, he goes, I told you so. He's not disappointed. He just goes, now do you believe me? He's not even mad. He's upset. He goes, well, you just believe me. You, apart from me, you can do zero so when you do stuff that is not like him, he's like, told you so. It's not within the flesh. The flesh is hostile to God. Cannot submit itself to God, the scripture says. Cannot. But the new creation never disappoints him. Because the new creation is him living through you. So we walk in the spirit. We're just being who he is. And he's being who he is through us. There's never any disappointment. So this guy thinks that 
if you really read between the lines, it's a self-righteousness. That's what's, that's what's dripping in this Facebook page. It's a self-righteousness that says, I can do it, and if I can't do it, he's disappointed, and I need to come and focus on my sin so I can stay right with God. It's a self-righteousness that is dripping from this page. And it brings condemnation. And it's, it's actually a very subtle self-righteousness because it's not talking about good deeds. It's talking about sin. It's a false humility because it, it, he's not believing what Jesus did and boldly proclaiming it. So it's a false humility that actually is talking about his own sin. So it sounds noble and religious. God hates it. He hates really more than anything the fact that this brother is not enjoying what the Lord purchased for him to enjoy. Anyway, so I just want to share those thoughts. And I'm sure this brother is a great brother in the Lord. I'm sure he does a lot of good things. I'm sure God lives through him in a lot of ways that are awesome ways. But I'm telling you, there's this mixture, this leaven that leavens the whole lump, this mixture of law and grace, this view of, of flesh and sin and that will eventually distort God and turn your focus back on yourself. I mean, I, get, I bet he spends most of his prayer time talking about his own sin to God, like we used to, as opposed to seek, talking about him and resting in him and enjoying him. That phrase right there, and just enjoying the Lord, is a lost art in the church. Beholding Christ in your inner man, Paul said, what is that? I just see my sin. See, all this that the saints had, beholding Christ in your inner man, enjoying the Lord, resting in his presence, resting in union with him, knowing his yoke is easy, his burden is light, rejoicing in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. All of that is like, what the heck is that? I'm over here sweating myself to death trying to please him. And I'm so wrapped up in my sin, I can't even see straight. Anyway. Uh, I, I'm encouraged that you guys see all this stuff. Isn't that cool? When I read that, I could see like red flags going off. He's not a, he's not a bad brother. He's not a bad guy. He's just, and he's got this, you know, desire to have a relationship with God. It's great. That's, that's, what it, that's what it is all about. He's exactly right. It is all about having a relationship with God. But that relationship is only possible because of God and because of what he did. Awesome. Lord, we just thank you that you're helping us see these things. I pray that the saints would be so, so encouraged today as we go to worship together and encourage each other. Father, thank you so much for opening our eyes. We're no longer living under law, but under grace. Blue skies, open heaven, sons and daughters of the living God, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Oh, my daughter, my son, I see no spot in you, no wrinkle in you. Come, run. Run with me. Run with me and I will show you things that you know not. Call unto me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. There is much to be shown, much to be seen, much to be enjoyed. I love you with an everlasting love. Come, fear not. Amen.